0: I'm Jen I go to 6 p.m. service Uh, today's Bible reading is from 2 Corinthians Um, there's two passages the first one is 8 uh, 1 to 9 and now brothers and sisters we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And the second one is also 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verses 6 to 11. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times having all that you need you will abound in every good work as it is written they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor their righteousness endures forever now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God.
1: Well, as we continue our series, Exalt, and look at this topic of generosity today, uh, let's pray and ask that God will help us as we look at this important aspect of our life of worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word to us. We thank you that you call us in response to your gospel to live lives that respond to your grace, that uh, affect every area of our lives, including the way we use the resources that you've blessed us with. So help us as we think about this important topic today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in a famous social psychology experiment in 1973 some theological students were told that they needed to go to another campus building to deliver a talk on the parable of the Good Samaritan that they had just prepared. Now, some of the students were told that they were running late as a result and that their audience was already waiting for them. But on the way to deliver their talks, the students came upon an actor who was slumped in a walkway, moaning, pretending to be in distress. Only 53% of the students stopped to help. And the variable that had the most effect on whether they stopped was how much time pressure they thought they were under. This experiment reminds us that it's easier to talk about being a good Samaritan than to be one. And that's because generosity is challenging. It's difficult at the level of our actions. Where and when and how should I be generous? But it's also challenging at a deeper level because it challenges our hearts. And the question that we're going to consider today is, how can my generosity exalt God in my heart and my actions? See, generosity is part of our response of worship to God. But how can it truly exalt God in our heart and actions? Well, the first answer to that question is this. Generosity exalts God in my heart as I give joyfully, not reluctantly. Notice again what is stated in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. What Paul is saying is that God's grace or undeserved kindness was shown to us in the sending of Jesus to die on the cross for our sin. Now, Jesus certainly lived in relative economic poverty in Galilee. But Paul's point is that Jesus gave up the glory of heaven for an earthly life in order that he might die in our place and so make believers rich. However, he's not talking about material riches, but rather spiritual riches that we receive through faith in him. And Christians are spiritually rich. Ephesians 1 verse 3 states that the Father has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then Paul outlines in the verses that follow in Ephesians 1 some of those spiritual blessings that he has in mind. We're chosen, we're loved, adopted, redeemed, forgiven. More than that, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavishes on believers, we know God's will. We're able to bring praise and glory to him, having received the gift of the Holy Spirit, which guarantees life beyond the grave eternally with God in heaven. And all of these spiritual riches are completely unearned. They're just gifted to us. You see, the reason that believers are called to be generous is because God has been so generous in sending Christ to save us. And so generosity is a response of worship to our generous God because it's a reflection of His character. Generosity should just flow out of believers who give of their time, their skills, their money, in hospitality, in other resources and ways, because of the spiritual blessing showered on us by God. But our attitude is crucial. To grasp how generosity is only right worship when it issues from a joyful heart rather than a, lu- a reluctant one, notice what is recorded again in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7. Paul writes... Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Well, in this section, Paul uses agricultural imagery. Uh, it's an agricultural fact that the size of the harvest is always directly proportional to the amount of seed sown. So the sowing and reaping in the context here refers to the financial gift that the Corinthians were about to make to the church in Jerusalem and the results of that contribution. Now Paul is going to return to what is reaped from verse 8 onwards, but the focus initially is sowing generously in verse 6. Now, such generous sowing must be matched by the right motive, Paul says in verse 7. It must be a voluntary gift, not one made reluctantly or somehow under compulsion because of somebody's pressure. The whole point of the collection would be void if the Corinthians' gift didn't come from their own desire to help those in need. And so to highlight this point, Paul adds the phrase, For God loves a cheerful giver at the end of verse 7. Now, as we've seen already, it's not difficult to explain why God loves a cheerful giver because he is such a giver and he desires to see this characteristic demonstrated by his people. Reluctant generosity is not the response that God seeks. You know, early in their marriage, uh, Billy and Ruth Graham were visiting a church where Billy was the guest speaker And during the offering, an usher came to the platform and pushed the offering plate in front of the visiting evangelist. Billy reached for his wallet and pulled out what he thought was a dollar bill. But as it dropped into the plate, he saw that it was his one and only $10 bill. And his heart sank as he saw the bulk of his financial resources disappearing. Well, on the way home, he told Ruth what had happened. But instead of sympathizing, she said... And just think, the Lord will give you credit only for the one. That's all you meant to give. Which brings us back to the question of reaping and what Paul goes on to say from verses 8 to 11 in 2 Corinthians 9. See, in verse 8, God is able to bless Christians abundantly so that they will have all that they need. And in the case of the Corinthians, God would meet their needs so that they could serve others who were without God's blessings. God's blessings to his people are never an end in themselves, but they're for others to be blessed through them. But as we apply this point to ourselves, you might be left wondering whether Paul is suggesting some kind of prosperity gospel here. You know, if you give to God's work, then he'll give you even greater material wealth. I mean, after all, Paul goes on in verses 10 and 11 to talk about those who give receiving an increased store of seed and an enlarged harvest and being made rich. Last weekend, I watched the documentary American Gospel, Christ Alone, which has recently been added to Netflix. It emphasizes that although there are many American churches who preach Christ crucified, there are also a significant number who have embraced prosperity teaching. The film highlights that this false gospel of health and wealth has been exported to many other countries around the world as well, causing great harm as people expect Jesus to make them rich. And they highlighted many of the false teachers like Joel Osteen or Benny Hinn or Kenneth Copeland and Joyce Meyer, who teach that Jesus died and rose again so that we could have a prosperous life. And the language they often use in their broadcast are about sowing seed, by which they mean giving money, and then reaping, by which they mean God giving them even more money in return so that they will be wealthy. And so what is espoused by such speakers is that you give in order to get. Your motivation for being generous is a selfish desire to be rich yourself, to have God bless you with material things. However, this is not what Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians 9. Notice what verse 10 states. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. See, the harvest that will be enlarged by God is a harvest of righteousness. Their giving will lead to their spiritual growth. Even in verse 11, the term rich in every way, is a reference to a generous attitude of heart. This is emphasized by the second half of verse 11, which highlights the use of resources so that others are helped in order that they may give praise and thanks to God. And as Paul points out in verse 13 that follows, Christian giving is an act of worship towards God. If it is motivated by the gospel. And for that to be true, our generosity must spring from a cheerful heart motivated by God's generosity towards us, not from some reluctance or compulsion, and certainly not from seeking something in return. You see, one day Jesus is going to return to earth and come for his own. And at that point, it will not matter how much money we have planned to leave behind, only what we have given in response to the gospel. Charles Spurgeon once said, earn all you can, save all you can, and then give all you can. Giving is true having. That leads us to a second answer to our question of how generosity is part of our response of worship. And that is, generosity exalts God in my actions, in my hands, as I move from having closed. To open hands. Notice again what is stated in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able. And even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And Corinth was a relatively wealthy trade city in the south of Greece. But Macedonia was the Roman name of the northern half of Greece, and it was a poorer area. It contained the churches of Philippi and Thessalonica, both of which had faced a lot of persecution and were still facing it, according to verse 2 there. Paul mentions not only a most severe trial, but also their extreme poverty, which makes it remarkable that they were overflowing with joy and rich generosity. I mean, so eager were they to be generous, they were pleading for the opportunity to give away the little that they had. Now, humanly speaking, this just doesn't make sense to us. It can only be explained by the impact of the gospel on them. They were opening their hands to share when they could so easily have closed them around the little that they had. Now, given the circumstances, the example of the Macedonians was no doubt challenging, extremely challenging to the Corinthians. Paul is holding them up as an example in a similar way that a parent might say to you, why don't you look at the example of your brother or your sister as they... Have acted. And Paul turns to the Corinthians in verse 6 and states that he'd urge Titus to bring to completion their earlier offer to give. See, a truly generous spirit or heart never leaves us just content to talk about what we might do, it has to be expressed in actions. And so in verse 7, Paul challenges them to not only excel in other areas as the Corinthians had but also to be generous in giving notice again what Paul writes in verse 8 I am not commanding you but I want you to test the inser- I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others But Paul urges them to show the genuineness of their love by concrete actions of compassion. There's no set amount. It's just according to what they have, we're told later in verse 12. Now, as we apply this second point to ourselves, we too have an inescapable responsibility to care for others. It's not enough to be moved with compassion in our hearts, but then fail to assist. We can't stand idly by when they're in need if we have the means to help. If we do that, then we've closed our hands and failed to reflect God's generous love that He's shown to us. You know, a story is told of a little girl who was uh, given two dollars by her father, and he told her that she could do anything she wanted with one, and that the other was to be given to God on Sunday at church. The girl nodded in agreement and asked if she could go to the candy store. With visions of all that she could buy with her dollar, she happily skipped towards the store, holding tightly to the two dollars in her hand. But as she was skipping along, she tripped and fell, and the wind blew one of the dollars into the storm drain at the curb. Well, picking herself up, the crestfallen girl looked at the one dollar that she still had in her hand and then at the storm drain and said, "Ah, Well, Lord, there goes your dollar. You see, it's worth remembering that God measures giving not by what we give, but by what we keep for ourselves. Actions are not only louder than words, they confirm words. And love is a verb. It's essentially an action. If we know God's love, then we will demonstrate it in our care for others. Our worship of God is tested or proven by this grace of giving, which springs from the gospel. God loves it when we give his resources away. They're his. So we need to manage the resources God has given us, because one day we will have to give an account to him. See, Christians need to stand out from our secular, godless society that is driven by greed and insecurity. They're often the twin things that feed people's lack of generosity. But as believers, we know that greed is idolatry. And we know that we are secure in God's care, who values us more than the birds of the air or the flowers of the field that he provides for. As a Christian... You know, how is your attitude to your resources different from the world around you? Are you storing up riches for yourself in this life? Or thinking about how to bless others and so glorify God? You see, our generosity with our time and skills and possessions and money that God has entrusted us with, well, that can bring glory to God. But it's also a witness to non-believers who will then also Glorify God. Back in December of 2002, uh, there was an article in the Sydney Morning Herald by Andrew West, who was the religious reporter for the ABC. And in his article, he noted that churches and faith communities are still the strongest centres of public good in modern society. The National Church Life Survey in Australia, which we take part in every five years, uh, a Demos study in Britain and research from Harvard University political scientist uh, Robert Putman in the United States all tell a similar story, he pointed out. As many other civil society groups, uh, such as service clubs and political parties, wane in their membership and involvement, it's the churches, he said, that are keeping alive the flame of brotherhood, sisterhood, and neighborhood. And the church... Life survey in Australia have consistently shown over the past couple of decades that Christians tend to work in areas such as education and healthcare and welfare, social services. And in addition to that, more than a quarter of Christians are involved in their churches, community services or welfare programs. Another 23% are involved in broader community activities, volunteering their time. Now, even if it is begrudgingly acknowledged, the witness of our generosity with our time and skills and money is powerful. Our good deeds will have an impact on those around us. The Apostle Peter states it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us but i guess the question is whether we ourselves are such generous people if we are to be salt and light in this regard and so truly worship god with our resources we'll need to be cheerfully generous with our time and our skills and not reluctant in our service we'll need to be concerned above all with god's glory that the thanks and praise go to him and And not ourselves. And for this to happen, we must be responding to the gospel of grace. Now, Years ago, uh, there was an account written of a Christian school for the children of untouchables in India. This was prior to World War II. India's untouchables are the lowest caste, the poorest of the poor, relegated to the lowest jobs... People who live in constant fear of being publicly humiliated or beaten, or even killed with impunity. Now, each year, the children at this untouchable school received Christmas presents from children in England. The girls got a doll, the boys another toy. And on one occasion, the doctor from a nearby mission hospital was asked to distribute the gifts. And in the course of the visit, he told the youngsters about another Indian village, some way off, where the boys and girls had never even heard of Jesus and had never received such a gift. And he suggested that, you know, maybe they would like to give some of their old toys as presents. Well, they really liked the idea and readily agreed. A week later, the doctor returned to collect the gifts, and the sight was unforgettable. One by one, the children filed by and handed the doctor a doll or a toy. But to his great surprise, they all gave the new presents that they had just received. And when he asked about this, a girl spoke up and said, Well, think what God did by giving us his only son. Could we give him less than our best? Well, have you grasped God's generous love towards you in Christ in such a way? If so, does the worship of your whole life include a radical generosity that exalts God in your heart through joyful giving and exalts God in your actions by holding your resources with open hands? This is what God calls us to. It's the only true response to the gospel of grace. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are such a generous God. Even as we look at the creation around us and see the amazing detail, the superabundance of every animal and tree, of all the stars in the universe. And then we come to think of the incredible abundance you've shown us spiritually in the giving of your Son, that he would leave the glory of heaven And bear our sin so that we might be given life. That we might have every spiritual blessing in Jesus. And in response to your amazing, undeserved grace towards us, you call us to live lives that heed all that you have done and to reflect your character as we respond to others. So we pray, Lord, that you might help us to be generous people. Help us to think again intentionally about all the resources that you have blessed us with, that we might respond with hearts that cheerfully give in whatever way, with whatever we have, and hands that are always open towards you, that we might give freely of what you have blessed us with. We ask for your help to do this by your Spirit.